wonderful to see your enthusiasm for fellowship and, and conversation, and we hope that you'll continue that straight after church. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. We're continuing our series today on the Lord's Prayer, which will go over about nine or ten weeks. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6. The Lord's Prayer is found within the Sermon on the Mount in that chapter. In 2007, the the old comedian Mickey Rooney caused a bit of a sensation because uh, when he was introduced to the Queen, instead of uh, bowing as you're supposed to if you're a man, uh, I don't know if you remember what he did, but he actually grabbed her hand and kissed her hand enthusiastically. And this caused a scandal in the British press. How dare this American actor touch the Queen and take hold of the Queen? And some of us are old, old enough to remember Paul Keating. Remember, he was a prime minister, in case you forgot, Paul Keating. And uh, in 1992, as he was uh, taking the Queen and introducing her to the members of Parliament at a parliamentary reception, uh, dared to put his hand behind the Queen and to touch her back as he took her around the room. And again, the British tabloid press went berserk. How dare... Anyone touch the Queen, even the Prime Minister of Australia, how dare he touch her? And they called him the Lizard of Oz. That's how, that's how appalled they were at, at, at Paul Keating. You see, we all have this understanding that there's a right way to relate to important people. There's a right way to relate to and to approach important and powerful people. And in the Lord's Prayer, our Lord Jesus teaches us how we must approach God. He teaches us how a human being must approach the living God. Look at me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, where Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lord God, please open our eyes this morning to see and to know the truth of your word. Amen. Our Lord Jesus teaches us that when we approach God, when we stand before God, when we think of God, that we are to think of him as our Father in heaven. And last week we looked at those beautiful words, our Father. And Jesus said, If you have repented of your sin, if you've put your trust in him for salvation, if you are a Christian, then you are to stand before God with a sense of confidence as Father. A Father who made you, the Father who loves you, the Father who will not withhold any good thing from you. And we had the joy of dwelling on those two words, our Father, last Sunday. But our Lord Jesus 
doesn't stop there, does he? He says, when you stand before God, when you pray to God, when you look up to God, you are to not just think of him as Father, but as our Father in heaven. And he reminds us that our Father dwells in heaven, in a transcendent place. Our Father is transcendent. He stands above this earth. And he dwells in this invisible place called heaven. Now, what's heaven like? If we're supposed to be thinking about God as being in heaven, but heaven is transcendent, it's not a part of this creation, and if heaven is invisible, then what's it like? What what images, what pictures are, are we meant to have in our mind when we think of God as being in heaven? Well, when we look at the Bible, we see that heaven, because it is invisible, is described with models and pictures and words. And we're going to look at one model of heaven and we're going to look at one picture of heaven right now to help us to understand what Jesus wants us to think about when he tells us to stand before God as our Father in heaven. And first of all, let's go to a model of heaven, Solomon's temple in the Old Testament. When Amanda Sue and I travelled, we we had the the great privilege and joy of seeing some buildings of jaw-dropping beauty and majesty. And we got to see Sainte-Chapelle, the 13th century chapel built by St. Louis, Louis IX, What a magnificent space to stand in with its 15 glorious stained glass windows. It's not like looking through a kaleidoscope, it's like being inside a kaleidoscope. It's so beautiful in there. And we went to Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris and and we, we went there at night and it was lit up beautifully at night. And inside, a symphony orchestra, a massed choir singing the the Missa Solemnus of Beethoven. It was a glorious place to be. Magnificent sight and sounds. And then, thirdly, Trump Tower in New York. The ultimate expression of 1980s wealth and power. Saint-Chapelle, Notre Dame, Trump Tower. It's an obvious uh, (laughs) linking of, of, of buildings. And with Trump Tower, with its 240 tons of of pink marble, its gold-painted escalators, its artificial waterfall cascading down the five-storey atrium. Another magnificent place. Now, as we think about these magnificent buildings across the earth, Notre Dame, Saint-Chapelle, the Colosseum, Versailles, uh, the Empire State Building, by any human standard, Solomon's Temple far, far surpassed these these buildings in glory and splendour. I want you to imagine walking into the holy place of Solomon's temple with its 14-foot-high ceiling. And as you walk into Solomon's temple, what do you see? You see a magnificent room, the floor, uh, panelled with juniper wood, covered in gold a gold floor, a gold ceiling, 
and then cedar walls into which had been carved angels, open flowers, palm trees, and then the carved cedar covered in more gold. And so you're standing in a a room of gold. Not only that, there are ten golden lampstands, five down each side, throwing magnificent light on the golden angels, the palm trees, the open flowers. It must have been a truly magnificent place to stand in. And then at the back of the holy place was that most holy place, a cube-shaped room entirely lined with gold, the Ark of the Covenant made of gold, the the giant 14-foot cherubim with their seven-foot wings of gold outstretching the Ark of the Covenant. It must have been an astonishing place to have stood in. Even by today's standards, it would be an astonishing building to stand in. But when Solomon had built this temple at enormous expense, and some people have calculated the value of the gold of Solomon's building, and the gold alone was worth $6 billion. And Solomon has built his temple, and he's consecrated it. And what does he say about the most magnificent building possibly that has ever been built on earth? He said... Will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Solomon's temple, in all its glory and magnificence, Solomon confessed, was but a shadowy glimpse of heaven. It was like when your eyes are half shut and you're looking at it from the side and it's It's in dim shadow. Solomon's temple, in all its glory, was just a glimpse, a shadowy glimpse of heaven and the true glory of God. So that's that's a model of heaven in the Old Testament. And it's worth keeping that in mind. Not worth keeping in mind, it's important to keep it in mind when Jesus says, think of your Father as being our Father in heaven. We have that model of heaven in the Old Testament. But we also have some extraordinary pictures of heaven. And in our Bible reading today, I read to you one of those pictures, Ezekiel's vision from the first chapter of his prophecy. And it's very strange, it's very otherworldly, it's very magnificent. I'm not going to reread it to you, but let me... Let me just pull out some of the the highlights of Ezekiel's vision. He said, The heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. I looked, and I saw a windstorm coming out of the north, an immense cloud with flashing lightning. We're supposed to use our imaginations here. We're supposed to fill our minds with these pictures and images. An immense cloud, flashing lightning, surrounded by brilliant light, And the centre of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire was what looked like four living creatures. And the living creatures looked like burning coals of fire or like torches. Fire moved back and forth among the creatures. It was bright and lightning flashed out of it. The creatures sped back and forth like flashes of lightning. Are you getting this picture of of, uh, smoke and light and sparks Energy, light flashing to and fro. 
and spread out above the heads of the living creatures was what looked like an expanse or a firmament, sparkling like ice and awe-inspiring. And I heard the sound of their wings like the roar of rushing waters, like the voice of the Almighty, like the tumult of an army. And this is all just a prelude to what Ezekiel saw in the centre of that vision. Above the expanse, over their heads, was what looked like a throne of sapphire, and high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal, as if full of fire. And that from there down, he looked like fire, and brilliant light surrounded him, like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the radiance around him. This is a vision of heaven, Ezekiel says. Now, I want you to notice how Ezekiel finishes his vision. He finishes it with these words. He says, he doesn't say that I saw the glory of God. He doesn't actually say that. What he says at the end of his vision, is I saw the likeness of the glory of God. And in fact, that's not even right, because he adds yet another word. He said, I didn't see the glory of God. I didn't even see the likeness of the glory of God. He said, I saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Do you hear what Ezekiel's getting at? This overwhelming vision of fire and light and glory. I didn't even see the glory of God. I didn't even see a vision of the glory of God. I saw the likeness of the vision of the glory of God. A tiny, tiny glimpse of God's glory. And when I saw it, Ezekiel said, I fell on my face. He fell on his face before the wonder and glory of the living God. And so when our Lord Jesus says, come before God, stand before him, and this is to be your posture, and this is to be your stance, This is how you are to see God. He is our Father, but He is our Father in heaven. And we are to remember all that the Bible teaches about heaven and the glory, magnificence, and greatness of God. This is what we must think of when we stand before God. Yes, he's our Father who made us, who loves us, who gives us every good thing. And he is our Father in heaven. Our Father, whose transcendence and immensity staggers the mind, whose light and glory and beauty blinds every eye that sees it, whose holiness terrifies and disintegrates every sinful soul. God is in heaven, brothers and sisters. He's our Father, but He is in heaven. 
And so let every sinner stand before him appalled. Like Israel at Mount Sinai. We heard the Ten Commandments, as our brother reminded us. We saw the cloud and saw, heard the trumpet blast and saw the lightning flashes on Mount, on Mount Sinai. And they fell down terrified because this was a holy God. They were a sinful people who deserved nothing from this holy God but wrath and anger, judgment and destruction. And that's why Ezekiel, when he saw the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God, even then fell face down in fear. Because this is a holy God and he was a sinful man. And the holiness of God appalled him. You might be thinking, oh, well, that's, is that the Old Testament? Isn't the fearsome God, the holy God, the God of the Old Testament? Well, think about the book of Revelation. And the pictures of God we see in the book of Revelation, where his holiness is in no way softened, toned down from the Old Testament, but is in every way amplified and increased. The awesomeness and holiness of God appears even more appalling and terrifying in the New Testament, particularly in the visions of the Apostle John. And when John saw a glimpse of the glory of God, what did he do? He, he, he didn't stand before God with face up and arms outstretched. With No. He fell face down as though dead, terrified, to be a sinful man in the presence of a holy God. A holy God whose very being hates sin and sinfulness with a passionate anger who must judge sin wherever it is found. When Jesus says, stand before God and pray our Father in heaven, we must fill our minds with the holiness of God, the greatness of God, the terror of God. And when Jesus says, think of your God as being in heaven, stand before him appalled, but also, and this might seem contradictory at first, but we'll come back to that contradiction, apparent contradiction, also, let your worried and anxious mind be stilled. Let your worried and anxious mind be stilled. Now, I know what, that what I've just said might sound contradictory, but it's not, and we'll, we'll come to that in a moment. But for now, so many of you are looking at all that is happening in the world. Russia is threatening the Ukraine. China is threatening Taiwan. North Korea is threatening everyone. The values of the Western world seem to be collapsing and crumbling around us. The natural world seems to be threatened by careless destruction. And we might look at all of, all of these things and our hearts 
filled with anxiety and worry. And that's just in the world. Then we look at our own lives and our health is not good. We struggle with finances, with our education, family worries. We can fill our, our hearts and minds with anxiety. Well, Jesus says, come before your Father and remember that he is in heaven. He's your heavenly Father, so put all of these things in proportion. Put all of these things in proportion. Do you think that world events are outside of the control of the holy and living God, the creator of the universe, the mighty one, transcendent, immense, the universe, which is the entire universe, is like a speck in his hand? Do you think that all of these world events that cause us so much worry and fear are outside of his control? He's your father in heaven. He's a heavenly father, transcendent, powerful. Do you think that he's not going to restore justice and bring justice to an unjust world? Of course he is. He's the heavenly father. He's the holy one. He's passionate about justice. Do you think he's going to leave all of these things undone? Of course he isn't. Do you think he's unable to deal with your circumstances? You see what Jesus is doing here? Here we come, we stand before God full of anxiety and worry and he says, lift up your heads and see God, your Father. How big he is, how powerful he is and mighty he is and holy he is and all of your cares and worries shrink in comparison. He can deal with these things. He is dealing with these things. Right now. Psalm 46. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. Now, Psalm 46, written to worried people. You worried? You anxious? Listen to these words. Worried about wars and so on? He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Now listen to this. Be still. Be still. And know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still. Stop fighting, that internal fighting, that worry, that anxiety that you're filled with. Jesus says, come before your Father who loves you, and now look at who he is. He's your Father in heaven, your earthly fathers. They love you too, but so much is outside of their control. Almost everything is outside of their control. I say that as an earthly father. Now think of your heavenly father who loves you. Everything is in his hands. Be still. Stop that internal fight, the turmoil and worry. Be still. And know that he is God. And so, finally, 
God is in heaven, brothers and sisters. So stand before him with confidence and love. We've seen that we should stand before him uh, appalled at his holiness and our sinfulness, but we should stand before him um, with a sense of proportion that he is God and he has control of all things. And so finally, stand before him with confidence and love. So let me finish by taking you to the Apostle John's vision of God, which is so similar to Ezekiel's vision, but has a bit of a difference, a very important difference. Let me read it to you. Let me read it to you from Revelation chapter 4. I'm not going to read every word, but just listen to how John... Listen, listen to the fact that he is seeing the same things that Ezekiel saw, and yet he sees even more. Revelation chapter 4, where John said, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, a rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne, Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were the 24 elders. And they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. So far, it, it's much like Ezekiel's vision, isn't it? Very similar. We see a lot of the same kinds of things. But let me now take you to Revelation 5, verse 6 where John, looking at this same scene, looking at the same God in heaven, look at what he sees in chapter 5, verse 6. Then I saw, standing in the centre of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb, he said, a lamb, looking as if it had been slain. So all, the, all those magnificent pictures of God in the Old Testament, Ezekiel's vision, John seeing exactly the same thing, God now shows him something new about that same scene. Who's on the throne? A lamb. A slaughtered lamb. A bloodied lamb. A lamb that looked as though it had been slain. Brothers and sisters, when Jesus says, stand before God as your Father, and stand before God as your Father in heaven, then look up to heaven and see standing together, inseparable, God the Father and his slain Son with him, the Lamb who was slain, Jesus Christ, covered in blood, the blood that poured out from his own body when he went to the cross for you and for me. And so we see a holy God and we see a mighty God and we see the God who gave himself to be slain for me and for you. And so let our hearts be filled with astonishment, 
and wonder and fear, but also love and joy that the great God of heaven stands inseparable from his son sacrificed for you, for your sins. When we see that, terror, it's transformed into confident awe and love. I hope that this will be true in your praying. In fact, the words of Jesus, don't, don't they utterly transform our personal praying? <laughs> we haven't even got to the, the prayer yet, and yet our praying has been transformed by the words of Jesus, has it not? Because he says, even before you start praying, remember who God is. Stop and recollect who God is. He's your Father, and he loves you. He knows your every need. He will not withhold any good thing from you. It is your Father in heaven, majestic, awesome, the creator. And standing inseparable, his son, slain for you. Evidence of his love and mercy for you. That's got to transform our praying. When we stop and remember who this God is to whom we are praying. And so let's let your prayer time, your prayers, be transformed by these words of Jesus. And one more thing. May our time together be likewise transformed. What do we want our church to be like? What do we want to be happening when people gather here on a Sunday morning? Well, we want people to come and to see the tremendous love of God, the compassion and the mercy of God, which fills us with delight and joy. But let's also remember that he's our Father in heaven. And so there should be reverence, a sense of awe and humility. And so often we... This is, this is what we always do as human beings, don't we? We always swing from one side to the other. You know, we either come remembering God as Father and there's that intimacy and that love and we forget his holiness, his awesomeness. Or we come with that, that, that reverence and fear but we forget he's our Father. So Jesus says in his prayer, let there be both, both at the same time, intimacy and awe. Humility and reverence, but also joy and confidence, all at the same time, because he is our Father in heaven. Before we come to the Lord's table, let's, let's stand and let's worship our Father our God.